Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We've got our eye on the enemy, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And this week on Eye on the Enemy, we're going to get an up-close look at this week's opponent at Lincoln Financial Field, 1 o'clock, the always dangerous Seattle Seahawks. And joining me to give us an inside glimpse of Seattle's 8-2 and two start is Ben Baldwin of The Athletic Seattle. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. Ben, how you doing, buddy? How's the Pacific Northwest? It's good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking about this game as it's it's actually a really huge game for both teams. So I, I'm very interested to see how it plays out on Sunday. Yeah, I think I saw somewhere, at least from the Eagles perspective, that uh, of all the NFC teams, this game has the uh, the, the biggest uh, playoff margin here where, you know, the Eagles, I think, get to 52 percent uh, probability of making the playoffs if they win. And it drops down to about 25 percent if they lose. And so I mean, that gap there is just enormous. I think it's like a 26 or 27 percent swing, given whether or not the Eagles win or lose this game. I didn't I didn't check to see what that number looked like for Seattle, though. For the Seahawks, the swing's not as big because even if they lose, they're still in pretty good shape for the wild card. But both the Seahawks and the Eagles are one game out of first place in their their division. And they're the teams they're chasing have pretty hard games. So the, the Cowboys are playing the Patriots and the 49ers are playing the Packers. So the winner of this game they'll sit back and uh, both those other games happen afterwards. So they'll sit back and be rooting for their division opponents to lose and might find themselves tied for first place at the end of Sunday. I mean, and there are so many tiebreakers involved here too, with conference play and record against common opponents and all that kind of stuff. It really is, it really is kind of a big deal for, for both teams on this one. And you know, you guys are eight and two and you're sitting pretty. And yet you yeah, like you mentioned a game out of first place in the NFC West behind the, nine and one 49ers how is life treating you guys in the super easy nfc west because man you guys just have it real easy out there <laughs> yeah it, it, it feels almost unfair the, the whole time russell wilson has been on the seahawks it, they've they've had some amazing team to compete with so in the early years is the 49ers and then in, in 2015 there was that cardinals team that i think went 13 and 3 and won the division and got a buy then there was the sean McVay rams now the Rams are finally not quite as good, and all of a sudden the 49ers are nine and one. So it, it's just it's been a dogfight in the division every year. There's there's really no year where they've just kind of cruised to a decent record and had the division handed to them like uh, an, an AFC East or something like that. I, I felt like this was coming from the Rams this year. I actually am surprised the Rams are doing as as well as they are in in a tough division. I mean, I saw them as a team that could struggle this year. Cause I, I really did think the Niners would be a little bit better. And I know the Seahawks are always a really good team. And I, I, there's usually that Super Bowl hangover with losing teams, teams that lose the Super Bowl usually have a hard time the next year. And I wasn't so sure Jared Goff was going to be able to come back and, and, and play like he has the last couple of years. And he's not been as effective, obviously the girly situation uh, with him not being the guy he, he used to be. And I think it blooms off the Sean McVay rose a little bit. Are you getting that sense out there too, that, you know, may, has Sean McVay taken, 
taken a little bit of a hit? Some of the the low-hanging fruit that they used to exploit teams on has been kind of figured out. And I think he's a good coach still, but they their pass protection's been a mess. And Jared Goff is probably not the quarterback that everyone thought he was in his first two years under Sean McVay. So when you have that, then it's a struggle to produce great offense. And they're they're kind of a average to good team this year. And in the NFC, and especially the NFC West, it's probably not going to cut it for making the playoffs. Well, let's set this uh, game up on Sunday against the Eagles. I think this was originally going to be a Sunday night game, and then with the Eagles having lost uh, last week, they moved it back to a 1 o'clock start time. So that kind of sucks for me. I live in the northern Virginia area, so I'm going to be getting a Redskins-Lions on Sunday afternoon, which I'm just thrilled about. Uh, so I'm going to f- gonna have to get creative trying to figure out how to watch this uh, this game against Seattle on Sunday afternoon. I'll figure it out, but... Um, the Eagles haven't beaten Seattle since 2008. They've lost four in a row to Seattle. They've lost the last three games started by Russell Wilson. Wilson has just owned the Eagles in his career. I wrote about this for BleedingGreenNation.com this week, how much Russell Wilson has just killed this football team. I actually looked it up the last time the Eagles beat the Seahawks at home was during the final year of the George H.W. Bush administration. Uh, 1992 was the last time <laughs> Seattle came into Philadelphia and lost. So, um, I mean, that's mostly ancient history. It doesn't really matter for, for Sunday. But I think the play of Russell Wilson against this football team in his three outings really does matter. He was unbelievable in 2014, uh, had two passing touchdowns, ran 10 times for 48 yards, 22 for 37. Uh, in 2016, he beat the Eagles after going 18 for 31 for 272 and a touchdown, no no picks. And he caught a pass for a touchdown in that one. And then the one that I think most Eagles fans remember is from that Super Bowl season when Carson Wentz and the Eagles were at the height of their powers. He just tortured that team in a 24 to 10 victory, 20 for 31, 227, three touchdowns. He's got the top QB rating in the league right now. His numbers are actually better on the road than at home this season. Overall, a 23 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio. He's averaging 273.7 yards a game. Is he the league MVP right now for you? Depending on the day you ask me, I could talk myself into any of him, Lamar Jackson, or Dak Prescott. I, I think they all have very good arguments. We, we saw Dak Prescott and his team have pretty good success against the Eagles earlier this year. So yep. um, if, if I were looking at this from an Eagles perspective, uh, facing off against Russell Wilson would definitely win me. Yeah, no, he's terrifying. And I think he's the most terrifying quarterback in the league. And, and you got to explain to me, because the, when whenever we see Russell Wilson, I don't understand how he ever loses. Because I, I I've never seen the Eagles be able to maintain consistent pressure on him when they do get pressure on him he always finds a way out of it he's absolutely magical outside the pocket he really turns things he turns so much garbage into gold and and makes these plays on the run and on the move and in traffic when it seems like he's going to be pulled down it's just amazing what is it that makes russell wilson so special like you said he's he's very good at creating outside of structure, um, which isn't to say that he's not good in structure. Uh, he is really good. But um, when those kind of plays aren't there, um, he's he's great at making something out of it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was the, the Eagles game in 20, uh, that must have been 2016, where he was rolling to his right and kind of threw across his body to Jimmy Graham when there was just nothing there and um, somehow created a, a touchdown out of that. So um, the the Eagles have have had some experiencing that the the kind of question of of how he ever loses is 
So the the main gripe with Seahawks fans is the the coaching staff of the Seahawks really seems reluctant to really lean on Russell Wilson, so he doesn't get the kind of volume that when you think of elite quarterbacks like uh, a Patrick Mahomes or a, a Drew Brees, the, the Seahawks want to be really run heavy and and haven't really leaned on him until they've been trailing late in games. It'll be interesting to see how run heavy the Seahawks are uh, against an, an Eagles team that. Um, while they have gotten a lot of players back in their secondary, has been exploitable through the air this year. Well, let me ask you about this, because I, I was one of the things I wanted to mention. And obviously in the NFL today, the analytics say you got to be throwing the ball more than you're running the ball. And when you've got an elite quarterback like the Seahawks do and some really talented pass catchers, and, and we'll get into their receiving court here in just a second, it seems to me that this team should be should be a pass-heavy offense. And it sounds to me like that's that's what you guys are, are, are barking about. What I mean, is this just because Pete Carroll is is still from the old school. He's still kind of living in the Marshawn Lynch beast mode, day, beast mode days. I mean, Carson's a nice running back and all, but my goodness, in this NFL, you got to be throwing the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it, it's kind of the mindset of defensive coaches. So you'll also see this from uh, Mike Zimmer, for example. So yeah, the way they want to play the game is they want to they want to make sure they absolutely do not turn the ball over and they view running as the safer way to do that. Uh, protect their defense, make sure they're not putting their defense on short fields, grind out these games, and then if you need to, put the ball in your quarterback's hands at, at winning time at the end of the game. But uh, as you said, the the kind of numbers-based nerd crew argues that if you have someone like Russell Wilson, it's not really the optimal way to win games. Um, passing is more efficient than running. Uh, if you throw the ball more early in games, you're more likely to put up points and build up a lead early in games. And the best way to not lose a close game is to not have a close score to begin with. At the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. If you're up by three touchdowns, you don't need fourth quarter comebacks. And I think, you know, when we, when we talk a lot about uh, Carson Wentz and some of his inability or his struggles to get some of these late touchdown drives and put in the fourth quarter to punch him in the end zone, it's hard to do that in the NFL on a consistent basis. It's a much better idea to run up a three touchdown lead early in a game for sure. Um, you know, I think and when you look at the the, the receiving core of uh, of Seattle, you know, you've got Tyler Lockett, uh, you've, you, you've got D, DK Metcalf, who I mean, I know as a second round pick it's just performing pretty well i mean i think he's been pretty good for you guys and josh gordon i know is just a, a recent addition let me ask you first about gordon obviously you guys signed him off the waiver wire we in philadelphia were screaming for the eagles to get somebody anybody and we looked at josh gordon as somebody anybody you know something it would have been something different something better than than what the eagles have on their roster right now what is your take on Josh Gordon after just a very short time with the team so far? I've been asking around and trying to figure out why the Patriots got rid of him, given that they are clearly in need of receivers and especially ones who can stretch the field and haven't really gotten a clear answer. So it seems like from a football perspective, there's nothing quote unquote wrong with him. And he, he seems like a good pickup for the Seahawks. So they the Seahawks picked him up just before their game against the 49ers and he he got a little bit of work and actually um, converted on a couple of big third downs late in the game but uh, wasn't heavily involved but since then they've had a bye week so it's been by the time they play it'll be, have been almost two weeks the hope is that he'll be more integrated into the offense and the huge question mark is Tyler Lockett so he suffered a what sounded like a pretty serious bone bruise against the 49ers in the Seahawks last game, um, spent some time in the hospital before being sent home. And it, it sounds like he's going to try to play, but there's a huge difference between Tyler Lockett at full speed and Tyler Lockett just kind of out on the field um, because he, as much as Josh Gordon and DK Metcalf 
can stretch the field, he's really the Seahawks' one elite downfield ball-tracking threat. So whether he's healthy or not will make a big difference uh, on Sunday. Let's talk a little bit about DK Metcalf, because obviously that's a guy that Eagles fans are very interested in seeing on Sunday. A lot of the, a lot of people are calling this a kind of a referendum game on, on Howie Roseman. Not, not that Howie's in danger of losing his job or anything, but obviously he picked J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over TK, DK Metcalf, and Ortega-Whiteside just hasn't been able to get on the field this year for reasons passing understanding. Uh, and, and obviously uh, Seattle got J- Jadavian Clowney in trade earlier in the season, and Josh Gordon, as I mentioned. We'll get to Clowney in just a second, but um, as far as DK Metcalf, he's probably been the best rookie wide receiver in the NFL this year. What is that, what is he what is he doing right now that's special for a kid his age? Yeah, so he's definitely up there. I think um, the that kid in Washington, Terry McLaurin, even though their season's yeah, going he's no, been good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Metcalf is pretty much everything that's been advertised coming out of the draft. So sometimes I'm a little skeptical on on draft scouting reports, but it pretty much nailed him. So. He's a very, very large human who's also very, very fast. And mm-hmm. we've seen that throughout the year. So if he's able to get a corner on a double move or a crossing route that they're not ready for or something, it's it's just game over because nobody can run with him. Um, he's just so big that once they're flying by and, and trying to get around his body, there's just no way. So uh, a lot of it is up to whether they can kind of scheme these open plays for him. He hasn't been great at the catch point. so something that we'll probably see is they've tried kind of a lot of back shoulder fades on the left sideline and mm-hmm. it feels like the completion percentage on those routes is like one out of three or something like that but they keep doing it for some reason um so that, that's something to watch for but in terms of getting production out of a rookie wide receiver and and the team had desperate need of receiving options after doug baldwin's surprise retirement right before the drafts um he's been probably as good as could possibly expect it which is probably not what eagles fans want to hear <laughs> no, it's not exactly. Looking at the offensive line, it seems as though the Eagles would have a pretty big advantage, really just at one major spot, but that's on the interior with with Fletcher Cox going up against your backup, uh, Joey Hunt. And I was listening to a little bit of Michael Kist and Ben Solak's show uh, where they were talking about Hunt, kind of a small guy, short arm span. Uh, it seems like a guy, Fletcher Cox, if he's playing at his peak performance, and he really hasn't been for a lot of the season, seems like a guy that Fletcher Cox should be able to eat up. And and I think, to me, that's the one way you're able to disrupt what Russell Wilson wants to do, is get the pressure up the middle, uh, hopefully get him off his spot. And I know he's great throwing off his spot, maybe funnel him towards Brandon Graham or, or, or Derek Barnett on the outside, one of those two guys. What kind of a matchup do you see there with Joey Hunt and Fletcher Cox? And, you know, talk about the offensive line against the Eagles' defensive line as a whole. If the Seahawks' passing game against the Eagles' secondary is advantage Seahawks, then Eagles' pass rush against Seahawks' offensive line is definitely advantage Eagles. If Joey Hunt is ever singled up against Fletcher Cox, it's just not going to end well for the Seahawks. The 49ers did a pretty good job of getting Hunt into one-on-one matchups, and he's like they said, he's just too small to win those matchups. So if, if that happens, then Russell Wilson's going to get under pressure. The other thing to keep an eye on is I think Dwayne Brown, the, the left tackle, has been on the injury report. So if he's either not playing or not at full strength, then um, that, that's another potential concern for Seattle's offensive line. And, and even at full strength, the offensive line has been pretty bad. So Russell Wilson has spent a lot of time under pressure this season. Now, I know the Seattle offense runs a lot of uh, a, a lot of t- either two tight end sets or two running back sets. They don't do a whole lot of three wide receiver sets. I'm looking at their their offensive <laughs> personnel grouping, and they're like 40 percent with three wide receivers, which is among the, the the lowest in the league. Do you think that 
Do you think that's something that will continue on Sunday, Eagles seeing a heavy dose of running backs and tight ends? Yeah, I think that is definitely possible. Um, they just activated Ed Dixon, the tight end, off of the – can't remember if it's injured reserve or PUP or whatever, but he – I don't think he's played this season. Um, but he – so they have him and then Jacob Hollister, who's been – kind of came out of nowhere and has been getting a lot of targets. So I would not be surprised at all if they came out with a lot of two tight end sets. They also haven't had – the third receiving threat that Josh Gordon represents. So maybe it's possible that they use three wide receivers more. So I don't have a great sense of what they'll do there, but they, they do with uh, Ed Dixon and Josh Gordon. Now they, they definitely have more options, both uh, at wide receiver and tight end than they have most of the season. Well, we're going to step away and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into the Seattle defense and how that matches up with the Eagles so-called offense at the moment. And we'll get a prediction from, uh, ben Baldwin from the Athletic Seattle. We will do that next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. Ben Baldwin from The Athletic Seattle is joining us again. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. So, Ben, let's get into uh, the Seattle defense against the Eagles offense. And if you have been paying attention to the Philadelphia Eagles at all, and I'm sure during your research for this Sunday, you have discovered the Eagles stink offensively. <laughs> it's really, it looks, I mean, and you're looking at the injury report. We're still seeing Alshon Jeffrey, at least on Thursday, was limited in practice. Maybe he ramps it up on Friday, but I think that most people are pessimistic that Alshon's going to get back in the game. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is not practicing at all right now, so the Eagles could conceivably be without their top three wide receivers, which could force the Eagles actually to have to play Ortega Whiteside a little bit more, but you're going to see Jordan Matthews and some Matt Collins, right? Right now, this is the wide receiving wide receiver situation with the Eagles is absolutely killing the entire offense. And I don't know how much of a chance you've gotten to see the Eagles' offense as a whole. Is that what you're seeing? How much is the are the wide receivers of this football team dragging everything down? Yeah, I, so actually, I watched the the game against the Patriots last night, which is probably not a, a fair <laughs> scouting <laughs> exercise because the Patriots' defense is 
um, so good. But yeah, I, I think it really hurts any team when they don't really have a downfield threat like Deshaun Jackson presented um, earlier in the season. And if there's just nobody who, who can scare you over the top and you're missing a bunch of receivers, then it makes it really hard for an offense. The good news well, for the Eagles is that almost every quarterback who has played against the Seahawks defense, Andy Dalton to Jared Goff to Jameis Winston to Matt Schaub has absolutely lit up the Seahawks secondary. So there is some hope there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention defensively Seattle's 21st in DVOA in terms of yards per game. Uh, Seattle, I mean, sorry, 21st in, in DVOA. Uh, in terms of yards per game, the Seahawks are 28th in passing yards allowed. Um, so, yeah, I, I was wondering, I mean, this this could be a game where Carson Wentz can get well. And we don't usually see Carson Wentz have more than one bad game in a row. And on Sunday, his receivers didn't help him out. And he also missed a lot of easy throws. He double clutched a lot. He was very indecisive on a lot of routes. And the Patriots did a lot of things to confuse him. So... As far as uh, as far as Wentz is concerned, you mentioned that the secondary, you know, could be it could be a situation where Wentz can get well a little bit. How do you see the Patriots scheming up against Wentz? I mean, obviously, the 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 idea I would think would be to take away the tight ends. That will probably be the the primary idea. And the the weird thing about this game is, at least my understanding is that the Eagles like to use a lot of two tight end sets. And they do. The the Seahawks are the one defense that wants to play deep base defense against everything. So they're going to be perfectly happy if the Eagles come out and put two tight ends on the field. The Seahawks are going to come out in base defense anyway. So that, that's probably the one place where they covering tight ends is where they do feel somewhat comfortable because they do have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright who are still, uh, even as they get older, still fairly good, uh, even in coverage. The, the place where the Seahawks have gotten torched is kind of uh, allowing deep balls. And looking at the Eagles healthy receivers. We, we don't have one of those, man. <laughs> yeah. There's not really people who <laughs> scare you there. So if I were a Seahawks fan trying to talk myself into one, this one, even though they have gotten torched by most teams, the profile of the Eagles offense isn't really the one to take advantage of the Seahawks weaknesses. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible offense right now because the only way the Eagles score is through 8 minutes, 16 play drives. That's really yeah. the only... And it is, That's it's like... Done. Yeah, I mean that's what they had against New England on, on on Sunday. That was the only time they were able to string anything together. I mean it's it's really tough right now. The Eagles are trying to use their running game to to help out a little bit, and I think Jordan Howard will play on Sunday, but still no definitive word on that. But they're go the Eagles are also going to be w without their their off right offensive tackle Lane Johnson, and you know it looks to me it looks like to everybody else like the rookie Andre Dillard is going to fill in for him at right tackle. Uh, Dillard has really never played right tackle before, played left tackle throughout his college career and is he going to get Jadavian Clowney all day? Is is Clowney pretty much uh, been playing on the left side for Seattle? Uh he he's pretty flexible in that he can line up anywhere and, and if if they have a rookie right tackle who's not used to playing right tackle then I'm sure the Seahawks will be more than happy to line up Clowney over there and let him go to work. Yeah, I mean, the last time I saw Clowney on TV, I mean, Clowney has been kind of a, a, a wrecker. Uh, and, and I think, you know, a lot of Eagles fans wanted them to give up what Seattle ended up giving up for for Clowney. How has he been there this year? I mean, has they, we we see at times that, you know, some when he wants to play, when the motor is running, there's there are a few players as disruptive as him. What has he meant to the Seattle defensive line? Early in the season, Jaron Reed was suspended for the first six games, and the, the Seahawks pass rush was basically Clowney and nobody else, so opponents could just double-team him and not really feel super threatened, which is probably, probably part of the reason that 
the defense was so bad. But recently, especially against the 49ers, um, Clowney just went off. So he uh, he scored a touchdown. Um, he was in Garoppolo's face all night. So it, the optimistic view of the Seahawks defense is that now that they have Reed back and they've, they've gotten some time to kind of gel and get things together, then um, they're going to finally find a pass rush because that was something that was really lacking for the beginning of the season. And I would imagine that kind of factors into the secondary getting torched long. And if they can't get to the quarterback, the quarterback has time to, to look down the field and, and try and find some things. But again, with, with Jordan Matthews as your as probably your ex receiver, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I laugh because otherwise I'd cry, man. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what the Seahawks offense would look like without, say, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And it's, yeah, it's sad to think about. Yeah, you know, funny, I was, when we were playing the Patriots, looking across the field at the Patriots, very similar type of offense to the Eagles. You know, no no deep threat down the field. It was it was like looking in a, a slightly more competent mirror. Uh, but obviously with Julian Edelman and, and some other cats there, they got a little bit more to work with. But not having a deep threat on the field is incredibly crippling. And it's just amazing how the Eagles are. I'm really surprised they're 5-5 five and five with the offense the way it is. Um, now, you wrote something for The Athletic this week, which I thought was really interesting because I think you mentioned the 2017 Eagles in your piece briefly. You were talking about going for it on fourth downs and how analytically speaking now, I mean, most most NFL teams understand that going for it on, on, on fourth down in certain situations, whether it's uh, eschewing the field goal or, or going for, you know, deciding not to punt and going for it, you know, between the 40s or whatever, that more NFL teams are starting to get the idea that going for it on fourth down is the thing to do. And yet, you say the Seahawks are basically ignoring our, all that data, aren't they? Yep, that's right. So starting with the Eagles, or before the Eagles, so that team should go for fourth downs more often. It's something that the number crunchers have been yelling for probably 15 years now or something. And it, it's taken a long time for NFL coaches to really get it. And one of the first ones who both got it and was public about his belief was Doug Peterson. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Eagles fans can remember in the Super Bowl, the, the Philly special was a fourth down. And then um, that decision. I had forgotten. The- you can tell me more <laughs> about it. I had forgotten. I'd like to relive it. So everyone remembers the Philly special, but there was also that fourth down near the end of the game near yep. midfield where they uh, it was a throw to Zach Ertz and they they picked it up and scored a touchdown. And um, that was what put them up by five points. Eight, five, yeah, five points. And then that was right before the, the Brandon Graham strip sack too yep. um, which end of the game so um between those both both the there's kind of a an organizational commitment from the eagles plus very very high profile success with it working out um after 2017 so in the last two seasons 2018 and 2019 uh nfl teams have uh, across the league become much more aggressive on fourth downs and it's when when a team goes for fourth down it's almost not even notable anymore just because so many teams are doing it now and the modern poster child for this is the Ravens who go for a lot of fourth downs and because they have Lamar Jackson they've been converting on a lot of those yeah and the the one team or one of the teams that's being left behind is the Seahawks so they're they're one of the teams that go for it at the lowest rate in the league so this the contrast between the Seahawks and the Eagles is one of the quote-unquote enlightened teams in the Eagles um, who still go for it a lot and the Seahawks, who they they tried a fourth and one against the Saints um, in week three and didn't get it and basically haven't gone for a fourth down since. <laughs> so, 
So I guess my question at this point is last, and this will be like my last question before I ask you for uh, uh, your thoughts on Sunday's game and what's going to go down. Is Pete Carroll still a good coach? I mean, because the defense isn't what it used to be. Uh, it seems like he has an over-reliance on and an unnecessary reliance on the running game, and you're just talking about the fourth down stuff. I know he's not the only coach in the division that does it. I also think McVay is a little bit of a coward when it comes to, to, to fourth downs, but Pete Carroll, I know, I think there, I've seen some things online where people are wishing Pat Carroll, Pete Carroll's uh, tenure in Seattle would would end soon. Do you think he's a good coach? I think this is very hard to answer because he's not good at things that are easy to measure. Like, do you run the ball too often, which he does? Do you go for fourth downs enough, which he does not? So it, it, it's easy to point at those things and say he's bad at those, and he is bad at those. But things that are harder to quantify, like building culture for example so everyone talks about how the seahawks generally have a good locker room and enjoy coming to work and things like that are really hard to quantify but they do lead to things like for example jadavian Clowney saying that seattle was one of the teams that he would be willing to get traded to so it does pay dividends it's just really hard to know exactly how tangible they are so i would i don't know if i would call him he's definitely not a good coach at in-game management I would probably say he's a bad coach at in-game management. <laughs> the other the other parts of what go into a coach, I would say he's he's probably above average at. And most Seahawks fans would yell at me for even putting the probably in there. So <laughs> it, altogether, I would say he's probably average. I would not hate it if they moved on from him, but that would also bring uncertainty, which I don't know if you want with a franchise quarterback in his prime. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about both sides of that coin. How good could could uh, could Russell Wilson be if he had an offensive-minded head coach uh, uh, letting him throw the ball more? But at the same time, you're right. There's that uncertainty of you know who who takes over. How does it affect everything? So fascinating things going on out there in Seattle. I mean, eight and two start. He's got to be doing some things right. And um, as far as Sunday's game, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we we've looked in Russell, we've seen Russell Wilson, and we know how terrifying he is. I think he's the scariest quarterback in the NFL. I think to me right now he is the league MVP, and we've just seen him torch this this Eagles defense over and over and over again. But even though they're on the bye week, making that cross country flight and playing what's essentially a 10 a.m. game is oftentimes tough for a West Coast team. It's a a long trip from Seattle to Philadelphia, and you know I am still amazed the Eagles are favored in this game, even though as of Thursday I think it's like a a, a point and a half last I saw. So. Um, what are your thoughts for Sunday afternoon? Who wins? And uh, if you have a, uh, a final score prediction, throw it at me. I think the, the point spread makes sense. Neither one of these teams is that good. Uh, the Seahawks are definitely not as good of a team as their record suggests. If you look at something like uh, their their point differential, it, it's closer to that of like a 6-4 team, not an 8-2 team. They've just gotten extremely fortunate in a lot of games, uh, especially against San Francisco and LA, where they only won because the opposing kickers miss like 40 yard field goals. <laughs> um, so if this had been on Sunday night, the Seahawks are so good at night games that I think I probably would pick them to win. But since it's not and Vegas is favoring the Eagles, I, I think I'll say Eagles by two points. So something like 28, 26 or something like that. Wow. All right. All right. I mean, I, I have a little, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pessimistic about this game, but in the, um, what we call all the game, we, we make picks uh, at bleedinggreennation.com. We pick all the games, but we just pick them straight up without spreads or anything. And I, I, I picked the Eagles to win, even though I can't, I don't think I really have a good football reason <laughs> why I think they, they will win 
on Sunday afternoon, other than the fact, you know, flying West West Coast to East Coast is kind of a pain in the rear end. So um, it'll be interesting, and uh, we'll get to see Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz, a terrific quarterback duel. Um, hopefully uh, those two guys will deliver on Sunday afternoon. In the meantime, everybody, check out all of Ben Baldwin's work at The Athletic Seattle. Make sure that you follow him on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. Ben, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, as you heard a minute ago, I, you know, I, I did pick the Eagles to win this game. I, I don't know how they're going to do it without Alshon Jeffrey on the field, even at whatever level of play Alshon was giving you. I, you know, I do think Arthago Whiteside is going to play, and I think he's going to produce. I think Carson Wentz is going to play a better game. I don't think we're going to see the type of game we saw from him on Sunday. I think Fletcher Cox uh, in the middle will match up well against the Seattle backup center, and I think he'll they'll create some problems for Russell Wilson. And look, I think this is just going to be one of those games where maybe the defense gets a gets a gets a pick in a, a pick six for you or returns a fumble for a touchdown, maybe gives Carson a couple of short fields. I do have faith in this defense right now. I think they're playing well. As much as Russell Wilson scares me, I think this team is due to beat Russell Wilson. This team is due to beat the Seattle Seahawks in Philadelphia. So, yeah, I'm going to go out on the limb. I don't have a great football reason for this, but I think the line, I think the Eagles are favored for a reason, and I do think that travel, West Coast to East Coast, does matter somewhat. It's hard for a West Coast team to get up for a 1 o'clock Eastern time game, a 10 o'clock morning a.m. game, according to their body clock. So, I'm going to say Philadelphia Eagles 24, Seattle Seahawks 21. And that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Just a reminder, guys, to make sure that you subscribe to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. And you can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Eye on the Enemy. Gene!